What happened to bring you to a point where you said, okay, I've got a two-year-old and I am going to YouTube my butt off and build a house? (laughs) And that for me, and I think for all of us, it had to be a physical action that I took. So I think the idea, if you feel stuck, get yourself up and moving. Pick some aspect of your goal, whatever your biggest goal is, that you can turn into a physical action and get up and moving. There's so much healing and therapy and and health, you know, for our brains, for our bodies in just getting up and moving. Welcome to the Forging Metal Podcast with your blacksmiths, Tara O'Brien and Ron Duran Jr. Come inside and grab your hammer. The fire is hot and ready. It's time to harden up. Let's get to work. The forge is now open. In today's podcast, we talk about the mindset of what is the worst that can happen. We also talk about taking control of your life when you are actually in the depths of desperation and not settling for becoming a victim and instead getting yourself unstuck. Welcome to The Forge today. I'm so excited. I have to be honest, Tara and I have been looking forward to this conversation for a while now because when you, you know, we get to interview such a diverse group of people and and today really kind of hammers that point home. For some of our listeners, you'll know that I've built an airplane. I started in my garage, built an airplane, finished it obviously in the hangar. It took me almost five years to build Usually, I can walk into any room, share that story, and, and kind of, you know, not have any competition. Today's guest can trump me. <laughs> I built an airplane. Today's guest, Kara Brookins, built her house. And, and it goes even, it's, it's even more amazing that she had no construction experience. And she did this by, partly by watching YouTube videos and then a lot of trial and error. So this just, it's such an amazing story to me to think, I think of building my airplane and then I go, wow, that's just a a drop in the bucket compared to building a house. And we'll talk about what that house looks like maybe a little bit later. So as we, you know, kind of unpack this story of grit, resilience, and mental toughness, you know, we can say step aside. Navy SEALs and ultra endurance athletes because Kara Brookings is ready to join this group. And so Kara, I'm so happy that you're here. Let let me say one other thing. We were introduced through, this is another guest uh, that was recommended by Allison Levine. So I want to give another shout out to Allison Levine. So thank you for that. So let's just jump into this. You know, this, Kara, tell us about this house. I mean, this house is not a I don't know if I'm, I'm going to use a, a, this is a derogatory, t- it's not a shack. This is a real house. Tell us about this house that you built. Yeah, this house is what happens when you give your kids a pencil and a piece of paper and say, what kind of house do you want to build? Oh my goodness. And, <laughs> yeah, they didn't draw a tiny house. Uh, they drew the house plans for a 3,500 square foot house. And I have four kids, so they drew five bedrooms a three-car garage, you know, they they went all in with Let's Build It Big. So, I, you know, I know that 
building an airplane is not a small thing either, though. But I think that, you know, when when you were talking, the thing that struck me the most is you're talking about grit and resilience and strength. And I was thinking of when I started the house, and those are the opposite of the things that I was feeling at the time. And I think I'm I'm amazed by how often that happens, that the times when other people see us as the strongest and the most resilient are when we were feeling so low, so desperate that we were just kind of trying to cast a net out there and, well, let's see if I can make this one stick. And really, that's what it was for me. When I started building this house, I felt I felt like I had messed up in a lot of ways. I'd made a lot of mistakes. I felt broken. I felt like my kids and I were really desperate. And the best thing I could think of to fix all of that mess was building us a really nice, safe place to live. And let's back up before we go further into the story of what got you to the place of building the house. I want to lay the groundwork for what we're talking about here, because if you've missed it, we've said built a house several times. We don't mean contracted someone to build a house for her. There are actually pictures you can see of Kara and her children, and you'll tell us their ages when you were doing this, Kara, in a minute here, physically from day one, from design to YouTube to I'm guessing Home Depot to boots and jeans on the ground, picking up bricks and laying this entire 3,500 square foot structure as a family. So really, I want to set that stage because that's, that's, I, you're the first person I've ever heard of to do something quite that, quite <laughs> like definitely that. Definitely not the first person to build a house, but maybe <laughs> with, you know, a two-year-old, the youngest was a, a toddler out here. And then the oldest three were 17, 15, and 11. So probably in the way that we did it, that it was, it was pretty rare and it was pretty primitive because we didn't have a lot of money. So, you know, when, when you say, yes, we, we laid the bricks, we didn't just lay the bricks. We hauled the water from the neighbor's pond to mix the mortar in a wheelbarrow to lay the 1,500 foundation blocks. Uh, so, you know, it was doing everything the hardest and most primitive way, you know, stick building the rafters because I couldn't afford to have a, a crane carry pre-built rafters in. It was, it was doing everything in that primitive way. And yeah, boots, we didn't have boots when we started. We didn't have any of the proper gear I was using cheap hobby tools, you know, the, the things you would normally use to maybe put an Ikea bookshelf together is what I was trying to use to build a house. And, you know, we, we were putting our feet into plastic bags, like bread bags, like your Sarah Lee bread bag. We'd wash that out, stick it on our foot and put our old tennis shoes on to try to keep our feet dry while we're building a house because we didn't have the right kind of protective boots to stay dry. So very, Gosh. very, very primitive, every step of it. That's, I'm just sitting here smiling. You can't see me, obviously, because this is an audio podcast, but I'm smiling. And I'm just thinking to myself, I have friends, and, and not to pick on my friends, but I have friends that are single mothers, and, and they go, I can't find, you know, an hour to go to the gym because they, you know, they have small children at home. And I get, I get the challenge there, but I think Kara might be a good example of, hey, find a way, you know? This was your, I mean, you're, you're, kids were part of your work crew, right? I mean, they were, they were very active members in, in building this house. Is that correct? Oh, you know, I think it's so important. People say that I built a house. I certainly did not do this by myself. You know, I was a 110 pound computer programmer. I could not carry a sheet of plywood unless I had one of my kids on the other end of it. 
And, you know, that was such an important part of every aspect of it. It was, it was teamwork. And right from the start, it was teamwork, not just from a physical aspect. They weren't just the, the work crew or the gophers, but I needed their minds in it. I needed to know, you know, we didn't have smartphones. We started this house in 2007 and 2008. YouTube was brand new. So when we were looking up how to do, you know, how to frame a window, how to build a wall, this was back at home on the family computer we all shared in the den and making notes on post-it notes that we would then like stick to a piece of wood out on the construction site. So, you know, very, very different time. So I needed to know what my kids remembered from each step. So if we'd watched a video, how to frame a window, when we came out to the construction site the next day, I needed every, how do you remember that? Like, how did they frame that window? Bring me some wood. Let's start cutting. Let's lay it out. And if my 11-year-old said, no, that's not how they frame that window, I had to go with her way. So everybody trusted and knew that their input was essential, you know, and it was valuable. And when, when your 11-year-old sees that you took her advice and you cut the lumber the way she said, and there's a different kind of investment there, and there's a different kind of pride in it, and the way that those kids showed up every day was, was reflected. Oh, and I so want to ask you questions about that, especially since I think roughly a decade has gone by since the kids were involved as to how that helped shape some of their lives growing up. But I got to back up. Did you say you were, you used to be a computer programmer? Yes. Yes. You went from computer programmer to construction (laughs) worker overnight. Yeah, I, I, I think that is important. I never wanted to build houses. That was not my goal. I was not a contractor, construction worker. I didn't have anyone in my family who was. I was a software developer and an author. I have seven fiction books, and I had several that were published at that time. And then I eventually you know, wrote a book, a memoir about building the house. So yeah, you can't get more like behind a keyboard than that. You know, that is the opposite of a construction worker. But I think it's important that there's so much of the mindset that was important to construction work or important to taking on a task that we didn't know how to do because so much of programming is just this figure it out mentality. You have this idea of this piece of software that you want to develop or that somebody has requested and there are no rules. You know, however you can come up with in whatever language you want to write it in and whatever interface you want to create You just have to figure out how to make all that work. And it's a lot of just if then, if I do this, then this will happen. If I want this result, I have to, you know, I have to do this. So, you know, there's so much of that that I brought from programming to this, you know, physical job of building a house. And I think, I think that's important. I think that mindset is what made it work. And where were you in the beginning of all of this? I mean, I think of like the the, the project that I've, I'm researching right now and have been researching for probably about two years is how to redo my own kitchen by myself. I find it a fun project. I want it done my way. I want to try my hand at something that I have no idea what I'm doing. It's such a little project in comparison. And to me, it's a hobby. It's when I get really like with a lot of time on my hands one day, I will have researched enough to do it. What happened to bring you to a point where you said, okay, I've got a two-year-old and I am going to YouTube my butt off and build a house. (laughs) Like, how do you, was it a a hobby? Was it something you just decided I've got to learn how to do this? Were you trying to teach your kids? What brought you to this? 
Well, like I said in the beginning, you know, it was this level of desperation that we had reached. And we had gotten there because I had been married more than once. I had had married a man who slowly descended into full-blown paranoid schizophrenia. And even though we divorced pretty soon after he became really dangerous, for, for more than a decade, he came after us. Mm. Um, he stalked us. He threatened us. You know, I had to hold him at gunpoint. There were numerous things that happened to the kids and I that were absolutely terrifying. And we moved multiple times trying to get away from that situation. But you can always be found. So, you know, we, we had lived with that for a long time. And while all of that was happening and the kids and I were afraid, I met a guy who was a, a firefighter, who was strong, who was physically very protective and married him. And he ended up being very physically abusive. So uh, the opposite of, of the protection that I was looking for. And that's when the kids and I started building the house because I had gotten to this point where here I am again, I'm alone. I had four kids and I started looking, you know, it wasn't so much the two-year-old as it was the oldest kids. I had the 17-year-old and a 15-year-old who were about to leave the house. And I just kept thinking, they're never going to want to come back. Mm. We were going to lose the house we were living in. So I had to find some place for us to go and I thought, you know, I could buy a, a small house, kind of stack the kids in bunk beds in the corners, and they're never going to want to come home to that again. And they're not going to be proud to live there. They're going to, this is not going to build us up. And so I started just kind of coming up with this, you know, what can I do to help the kids and I, we've been through this trauma. And because we'd been through the trauma together, I wanted us to go through some sort of a healing process together. So I looked at kind of the typical, we could run a marathon together, we could climb a mountain together, you know, what are some of the things that we could do that would be unifying? And they just weren't enough. I needed something that at the end, I wouldn't have a picture of us crossing a finish line or a picture of us on a mountain. I needed like a physical thing. And I started looking at, you know, art projects and, and different things like that. And then, of course, this, you know, in the back of my mind every day is, where are we going to live? We don't have a house. Where are we going to live? So enter YouTube. And I started Googling, you know, how to fix up houses and things like that. And I started finding things about how to build a wall. And I'd look at it and think, well, I know how to do all of those things. I've cut a piece of wood before. I've nailed in a nail before. That's all you have to know to, how to do to build a wall. And then I started looking at plumbing. How do you run gas lines? Well, I've used a torch to make jewelry before. You know, it was really tiny. It wasn't the same as copper pipe or, you know, this, the same as running gas lines. But it was the same principle. And I thought, there, I don't see a single thing in all of these videos that I don't think I could figure out how to do. Now, obviously, collectively, all of those things were massive. And the timeline that we ended up on was nearly impossible because I had to get a construction loan that gave me a nine-month time frame to build the entire house. So, you know, all of that together was massive. But each little thing seemed totally possible. And that's how I went into it. That's such a great lesson. I think for all of us is when you're looking at a, a daunting task, just just break it down into little bites and say, okay, what can I do? And and, and just start from there. So I like that. <clears throat> now let's go back just a second. Thank you for sharing. 
I'm sure that's that's not a, a fun story to share of how you got to that point of desperation. But I also wonder, there might be people out there listening that are in a similar situation. And so how, you know, you've been struck by some trauma, as you said, and how do you maybe get out of that victim mindset and, and say, I'm going to take control of my life or at least control of, of some parts of my life. And I'm going to move forward. So if, if you're somebody out there that's stuck, maybe where you were, how do you move forward? Because I'm sure there's a lot of fear and a lot of, I don't know, intimidation of, of taking that step. Can you offer any advice on what got you moving forward? Oh, sure. You know, I think the the number one thing that people were telling me, you know, when, when they would see that I that I felt stuck, that I felt really paralyzed by the situation I was in is they would tell me, you know, just take these little steps, just do a few things, you know, just get up today and make a cup of coffee, just put your socks on. And I got really frustrated because at the end of every day I would have, you know, a pot of coffee and a pair of socks (laughs) and I wanted more. And, you know, then it was go to therapy, read these books, people were offering these things. And I knew that as far down as I was, I needed something major, something massive. And that for me, and I think for all of us, it had to be a physical action that I took. So I think the idea, if you feel stuck, get yourself up and moving. Pick some aspect of your goal, whatever your biggest goal is, that you can turn into a physical action and get up and moving. There's so much healing and therapy and and health you know, for our brains, for our bodies in just getting up and moving. So finding something where I could immediately, I mean, for us, it was, you know, a pickaxe. It was real action. You know, it was hauling block. It was hauling water. It was ripping through a sheet of plywood. And, you know, aside from the physical and and mental benefits that that gives you, there's this sense of power and control when we are able to change something in our physical atmosphere when we can, you know, see at the the end of the day, our results and that they are something And it, you know, it doesn't have to be a house or an airplane, you know, that can be an art project or whatever your work, if you're building a new business, there are physical aspects of that from, you know, file systems and and things that you can create, even if it's post-it notes that are color coded across your entire wall of, of your bedroom, things that you can look at and see that you were up and moving and achieving that day. So perfectly said. And I'm curious now to ask you about the kids in the sense of, am I right to think you built this house in nine months? Yes. Oh my goodness. We had to have their certificate of occupancy in nine months or we could lose the house. The bank could take it back. And so the kids got, obviously they had no choice. They had to get heavily involved in this. It's now been over a decade. Your oldest is 30. And you, I I see you right now sitting in the house you built and the kids come back and I imagine visit from time to time. And how do you think this has affected their life? And you have given them this physical thing. It's not a photo of a marathon. It's not a photo of a mountain. It is a physical thing they get to come home to and bring their friends or their significant others and say, I helped do this. How do you think this has really had an impact on them as people? No, a huge impact. You know, when we started building the house, because of so many of the things that they had gone through, they were uncertain. They were weak. They would hold back. And of course, after building the house, these kids were 
fearless. I mean, put anything in front of them. My oldest son, uh, Drew, moved up to Alaska and went to college up there. And he would climb ice walls and mountains and snowboard. My my oldest daughter moved to Washington, D.C. and then to L.A. And, and now she's running her own business. My youngest daughter, crazy, she went and lived in a tent in the Ozark Mountains through snowstorms to help a family build a straw bale house for a summer oh, wow. um, for, through, or through a spring and summer. Now she's she lives in Canada and has her first baby up there. She married a Canadian, so she's in um, Ontario. And uh, my youngest son, 15 years old, so he's, I think, the bravest of all of us. He's going through a year of virtual school, which is oh my goodness, a yeah. really, really tough thing. But, you know, just this idea that there's so many things that my kids will do now, where if I were to hear somebody else's kid is doing it, I'm like, oh, yay, that's amazing. But my favorite things are the ones that make me say, oh, but, but wait, do you want to, do you want to think about this a minute? You know? <laughs> because I love that they're that fearless, you know, that they, they're not afraid to fail. And that's the number one thing that we learned out here is that you do not have to go into any project knowing that you're going to succeed. You can know that you're going to fail five or six times on it. I've, one of our favorite tools was a reciprocating saw. And it's just a saw with a metal blade in it that will cut apart your mistakes. So when we'd frame a wall wrong or a window wrong or whatever that thing was, the sawzall would cut through the nails so we could cut it apart and reuse the wood to try again. And it just made the kids know, like, it doesn't matter. You try it. Like, what's the worst that could happen? And I remember that the first couple of times I said that to the kids, you know, there, we would become paralyzed by things like every project that we started out here, we had no idea how to do at the beginning of the day. So, you know, at, at first they kind of stand aside and wait and nobody wants to make the first move or the first cut and every move feels so big and profound. And so I started asking, what's the worst thing that could happen? And, and at first they'd say things like, oh, an, an airplane engine could fall out of the sky and crush us all. Or, you know, you could <laughs> cut off your left arm. And I'm like, guys, like we learned the safety precautions. So we're not going to cut off our left arm, you know, airplane engine, not going to happen. <laughs> the worst thing that could happen is we're going to do it wrong and we're going to have to do it over. Can you live with that? And if you can live with the worst case scenario, the likely worst case scenario, then you can move forward with no fear. And that's what I see them doing now. When my son was going to move to Alaska, he had these last minute doubts. Oh, I don't know, you know, may maybe I shouldn't go. And he had almost talked himself out of it. And I said, Drew, if you go up there and you hate it, what's the worst that could happen? And he said, I I'd have to move home. I said, son, you live at home now. You're already living the worst case scenario. <laughs> That's where you live now. Go to Alaska. You know, so I think that, you know, that was just so important. It was so important for them to see that and, and be fearless. Well, it sounds like that's a mantra. What's the worst that could happen? Uh, right. Maybe maybe there's some words of wisdom there. So how do you think, I'm not a parent, but how do you think, I mean, any advice for parents out there? How do we cultivate that in our children? Do we need to build a house to do this? Or or, or do you have some tips on, on how can we create children that say, what's the worst that can happen? Let's give it a try and maybe have that growth mindset and that resilience to, to do bold things. What would you say to that? You know, kids watch us. They watch us really closely. 
And if we are trying things knowing, I don't know how this is going to turn out. This could turn out terrible, um, but I'm willing to jump in and give it a try. I'm even willing to fail really big and publicly on this. And, and that's how important it is for me to give this a shot. They're going to see that and they're going to see that over and over again. And they're going to see it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal to fail. And most of the time you can find some way to succeed. Maybe not the first time, maybe not the sixth time. But if it's something that you really want that's important to you, you'll find the resources, the skill, whatever it is to make it happen. And if not, it wasn't for you and you'll try a different thing. Your, your life, your world didn't end because you failed at one thing. And we've talked a lot about how it's helped the kids in their lives. I'm curious about you. What does it do once you have done this super huge thing? And oh, by the way, you learned it all on your laptop on nifty old YouTube. Where do you go from there? Like, have you, are you just a YouTube fiend now? Or do you (laughs) learn everything? Is there anything that can stop Kara? Or you're like, no, I can, I can figure out the solution. Oh, I mean, I'm still doing projects constantly. I'm building a bench right now out in my shop. I built a desk over COVID. I mean, we've renovated like half of this house over COVID (laughs) from painting to art to building structures. I mean, there's always something going on. But I think beyond that, you know, it is things like I, I quit the day job as a computer programmer. I did, you know, I wrote a memoir about building the house, which was really tough because I never planned to tell anybody. It was a secret when we were building. It was something we were ashamed of. Mm-hmm. So this idea that not only did I write a book about it, I then decided to share it from stages where I became a you know, full-time professional speaker. And again, like I was a computer programmer and a writer. You cannot get more never on a stage than that. You know, I was very much introvert, hide behind the keyboard girl. So learning to do that by watching YouTube videos, by pulling apart comedians and and stage performers, and how do they do this? And how do they share a message? And, you know, how do they teach something, but still tell a compelling story? And how do you move on a stage? And where do you put your hands? And, you know, all the things that we wonder, all of that was, was watching YouTube. And, you know, now I I have a podcast. So you guys know everything that goes into that. I just started a new podcast. So everything that I do is done with that whole, let me see how I can string all this together. I'm, I'm sitting in my library right now and I've got lights on either side of me that are propped up on brackets that I made myself with my 3D printer, you know, so I could swing them into the bookshelves when I'm not using the lights. So it turns back into a living space, you know, from everything I do is is like that. It is. And I'm not afraid to try. I, I, and I think most importantly, maybe I move into it very quickly, mm-hmm. you know, very quickly past the, I, I used to spend a lot of time wondering, you know, thinking through and planning. And now when I have an idea, if I think, Hmm, I think I want to build a bench for my bedroom. And I think it needs to be about six foot long to go under these mirrors. And I have a slight picture in my head of what that will be. 10 minutes later, I'm on my way to the lumber store. I mean, because I know if I let that sit, I'm going to think about how hard it is. I'm going to draw 25,000 different designs of it. I'm going to talk myself out of it and I'm never going to do it. But if I jump right then when that idea is exciting, you've got all those neurons firing in your brain. It's the exact right moment when your brain and your body is giving you the energy to go after it, do it. So that's how I do it now. And that means I'm constantly calling like one of the kids from the house and saying, okay, I'm at Lowe's and I've got all this lumber laid out 
but I didn't actually measure the place that I'm putting this. So can you get a tape measure and go measure this wall? And can you also tell me exactly how many inches the light switch is from this? You know, I'm doing that constantly. And the people at the return desk know me really well because I have to buy seven things that I might need. But you know what I have at the end of the day? I built a bench. I built a desk and somebody else is still sitting there drawing their 50th iteration saying someday I'm going to build a desk. Oh, gosh. Oh, true. Mm. Uh, this, is, this is great because I, I feel like I do this too. I, I overanalyze, I overplan, and I've learned through you know a lot of self-reflection that that's my way of, of procrastinating. And if I continue to plan, then I can never fail, right? And so you can get stuck in this mode of plan, 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 and never act. And so I, I know that I've got to break out of that at some point. And so what a great, you know, what a great lesson for us all, I think, to to just commit to action. Maybe slow down a little bit more than Kara. So you can, you know. <laughs> no, don't, don't. <laughs> but but maybe find don't that leave happy. me all alone with this problem. <laughs> Find that find that happy medium. This this is great stuff. I mean this this speaks to me. I mean I'm again I'm somebody that's built an airplane, so I like to get my hands dirty and get down and you know and and just figure things out. And so when I hear you saying, yeah, you know, I, I use my 3D printer to make some light brackets, I'm like this this is great. Let's talk about your book for a second. Rise: How a House Built a Family. I got an advanced copy. Thank you for that. So I got to skim through some of that. I was fascinated by the idea that each one of your chapters alternates between rise and fall, rise and fall. What is your thinking behind that? You know, I spent six years writing that memoir. I was a fiction writer. And so I, I, I understand story structure pretty well and the way that I wanted to share a story. And I really struggled with the idea that I didn't like flashbacks. I didn't want to start with a bunch of negative and then move into building the house. And I didn't want to flashback throughout. And so I struggled with the idea of how to tell a compelling story that didn't leave out the reason I did it, that didn't leave out the bad stuff, that I, I didn't just find an excuse to skip the stuff that was hard to tell. So I decided that the easiest way to do that in a way that kept the story compelling throughout and told the stuff that honestly I didn't want to tell you know the, the stuff that I it would have been so easy for me to write the rise chapters and say you know we built a house and it was lovely and it was like a Disney movie and you know but to say like here are the ways that I really messed up here are the mistakes I made here are the terrifying situations that we were in and this is this is the catalyst this is what really started it all and this is why we built the house and so I, I alternated by telling the story of us building the house in all of the rise chapters. And those chapters are longer also than the fall chapters. And then I inserted between everyone the, the fall chapters, which are sort of the flashbacks, which are the time before, which are the things that led up. And there are a lot of really terrifying things in some of those. And I think it helps to understand that no matter what you've been through, no matter how hard things have have been that there's a there's a way for you to still reach whatever your craziest biggest dream is mm. yeah i'm so glad you shared that and we're really big on this podcast about this idea that you know we interview a lot of people that are i'm going to put it in air quotes successful but we like to bring this to you know kind of put a spotlight on this idea that all of these successful people 
have had those moments like you talk about. And I imagine that was not easy to to put that out there for the world to read. So I think that took a lot of courage. It's a terrifying thing. You know, the, the first versions of the book that I wrote didn't contain all of that. You know, they were just, oh, we built a house. And, you know, they, they had just minor mention of, of why and what happened before. And I had to write a lot of versions before I figured out, you know, what's missing here is the true honesty, is the really deep parts, are the why. But, you know, even then, the, the book, when I finally did finish it, and I had a great agent, and the book went to a big auction in New York. A lot of publishers wanted it. And my agent called me and said, after we got the first offer and we, we saw that it was going to auction, she called and she said, Kara, this is your last minute to pull this back. Once we say go on this auction, you can never pull this back and there's some really hard stuff in here and I don't know how it's going to go for you. I, and then she said, do you want to do this? And I said, Whoo, I did until you asked it, until you asked me like that, you know, because, you know, you write it and you're kind of all caught up in the excitement of all of this. And, and to really think about like, what's this doing to your children? You know, it's easy for me. I'm a grown up, and I can own all of this, but you're putting this out here for kids who, you know, well, they all kind of signed off. The youngest was still really young then. He didn't sign off. And you're talking about them, their personalities, their difficulties, their their father. There's so many things that you're talking about that are hard. And, you know, I, I thought in that moment, my thought was, if what's the alternative? If I don't share this book, if I, if I just say, no, we're not doing it, pull it back. I wrote it, but I don't want to share it then that means the alternative is just being silent. And how many victims of domestic violence have had to stay silent, have had their voices taken from them? Somebody's got to be that mom. That means somebody's got to be that kid, too. And I said, go. Let's do it. Wow. Thank you for being that person. And uh, you are lucky. You're right. You're right. You had a great agent. She... (laughs) She... was really looking out for you. So that's amazing. And, you know, Ron and I were talking about this before we got on the podcast with you. It's kind of an, an amazing success story. I mean, you, you've said you have your own podcast, you've put out a book on this topic, but the, the number of people absolutely that have viewed and been and seen what you have done absolutely blows my mind. I think we read that 2 billion people, billion from 75 countries. Just in the first year. Unbelievable. I mean, I said, Ron, wait, what's the population of the planet? (laughs) That's like a quarter of the population of the planet has been enthralled by this story of yours. And now people are asking you to be a keynote speaker, which you've mentioned. You know, you're helping other, other people kind of turn their ideas into finished projects. This is kind of an overnight success story. Yeah, the, the, the global response was just insane and, wow. and continues to be. In fact, yesterday I sent this long email to my kids in Russian that, you know, some, somebody from Russia sent. I said, oh, this is a, an awesome email. You guys, you run this through your translator. You should read it. Every day, messages from all over the world still. The story came out in 2017. Before the book came out, the story hit the media. And, and it just, it was nuts. Within just a couple of weeks, I did, you know, Good morning, Poland. Good morning, Italy. Good morning, Turkey. You know, Indonesia. It was it was just crazy. And 
of course, talk shows and the Today Show at the house. I, in fact, just this year, I did the Tamron Hall show. So, you know, just crazy how, how big that became. And of course, the book is out in Chinese and Russian and, you know, it's just baffling. But, you know, ultimately, I think that this just, for some reason, touched a point that was a person doing an unlikely thing and succeeding. And everybody that read it came away with, or, or saw the story on Facebook or wherever they saw it, came away with this idea that if she, this really unlikely, inept person, and I totally was that, if she could somehow bumble through this insane project and end up with a house, then I could do whatever that big thing is that I want to do. I could start a business. I could build an airplane. I could, I mean, and I get, those are the messages I get. I just started, I built a backyard yoga studio and I'm starting my own business. Now I wrote a book. Now, now I'm going to become a ninja, which is one of my favorite ones. <laughs> I mean, I get these messages and it's like, they feel like my story gave them permission, which they didn't need. Mm. They didn't need from me. And they had what it took all along. I didn't give them anything new. They're just using the resources, the skill, the intelligence that they already had available to them. But it opened a door where they thought, hmm, if this was possible for her, then this other thing is possible for me. I mean, that's, that, that's the, I get goosebumps just talking about that. because It makes me so happy to get those messages. And from, you know, people of all ages, I got this barrage of messages early in COVID, which was a really nice thing when, when the world was crazy. The, the story, our story was two or three page reading exam in Tunisia. It really? was the reading portion of their, their version of the ACT. So they read the story and then they answered questions about it. Well, then like, and like 300,000 people took the test, you know, high school students, then like a third of those sent me messages on social media and <laughs> sent me little voice messages. And they came in some in English, a lot of them were in Arabic or in French and, and just tons of messages about what they were going to do. So, I mean, what oh, a way incredible. to open, open the door. It's no just, kidding. It's exciting. I'm right there with you. My hair stood up too. So I, I, I love stories that, that are inspiring like this, that, that show people what they're capable of. One of the things that, that we talk a lot about on this program is you don't know what you're capable of. I mean, most people that I work with, they don't yet know what they can pull off. And so sometimes it takes somebody like you, Kara, to show us Hey, look what look what we can do. Look what I can do. And if I can do this, you can do this. People say the same thing to me about my airplane. That's amazing. I'm like, I'm just an ordinary guy. I just there's nothing special about me and you can do this too. So, I love that message. So, what is that, you know, going back to Tara's question and all of what we just talked about. What's that like? I, I don't I don't buy into this idea by the way of overnight success. This is we know that you you didn't get there overnight. This was a lot of work that you put into to arriving at this doorstep. The world sees it as an overnight success, but we all know that's not true. But but as you sit here right now, I mean, do you ever just like pinch yourself and go, what in the world? How did I, you know, how did this happen? I just can't even fathom what that would be like to go from, you know, where you were before you started building the house to where you are now. Tell us what that's like. You know, I, 
I guess I don't, I don't think about it in that terms a, a lot because I always have another big goal. Like there's always something more I want to do, right? You know, I'm still setting things that I haven't achieved. So I certainly don't look at it as, oh, you know, I've done everything I want to in life. That was fun. You know, there's so much more, but you know, there, there was a moment. In fact, I said this to my kids after the story came out and I was doing literally round because it was every country I was doing round the clock media and I was exhausted. And like three or four weeks into that, I said to my kids, I wish I could have a day to go sit on a mountaintop with my notepad and just read through it because you know, I would, I would flip through it. And I was like, oh yeah, I was, that was Ellen's producer. Oh God, I forgot. Like I did this show and it happens so fast and you're blocking things in every 30 minutes. You've got another interview and you're, you're popping onto something or flying somewhere and doing something that you don't have time to process it. And I think we all need to probably take more time to just, can I just sit and like celebrate a few of these wins before I set the next big goals. And, you know, honestly, I think that that COVID, of all the negatives, there are so many positives in the amount of time that we all had to, to reflect, to, to really understand our perspective and maybe alter our perspective if needed on, on life, on our goals. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that that I have done that. I have taken those moments to pause and look at that. And every now and then I still will run across one of these pieces of paper in my files. And I send a, a little screenshot to the kids of like, look at this, like, you know, ABC, CBS, NBC, you know, like all these people that I talked to that day. And it's like all crooked and sloppy because I hadn't eaten or slept. And, you know, I would try to say, I have to I'd be sending messages to the kids who were my oldest daughter, like quit her job to full time, just manage that for a while. And she would sit in the other room, just slotting things in on my calendar. And she wouldn't tell me who it was. She would just tell me camera, you know, this is a camera or audio. Otherwise you'd just like freak out if you'd look at your calendar and see who all these people were. So I wouldn't even know who I was about to talk to. Wow. But you know, I, I lost my train of thought there, but yeah, anyhow. So and when I'm writing those down, those, those notepads are just the sloppiest mess. And then of course, like the, the book was optioned for film and then we were going to do a TV show and, you know, we were pretty far along in that process. I got to co-write a screenplay, which was fantastic. I co-wrote that with Kate Angelo, who she wrote Will and Grace, uh, some of that, and some stuff with Jennifer Lopez and Cameron Diaz, some fantastic writing. So I got to co-write a, a screenplay about my life. I mean, how in some ways it's disturbing and you feel like you're losing your mind for the duality of reality versus Hollywood version. I don't even know what happened anymore. You know, what's real? And I, of course, then it was, it was option for a TV show and my oldest daughter and I got to do a sizzle reel to host a TV show and then COVID happened and everything came to a screeching halt. In fact, both of those options expired in 2020 and with COVID, we've never renewed those. I don't know if we will, but that experience was just when you're looking at the number of producers that I got to talk to and interact with and fly out to Hollywood and, and that whole experience. Yeah. That's kind of like pinch me stuff. Right. And scary. You know, there's so many things that go with that. People think it's all happy and it's exciting, but this idea of selling your life, which is what you're doing if you agree to have a film made about your life. So it was a tough decision. We walked away from a bunch of times and there's, that's why we may not renew it. You sell the rights to your life. You no longer own your life story. I had to get, you know, go through attorneys just to get permission to tell that story on a stage anymore because I no longer owned it if I sold it to somebody else. They can do whatever they want with it. They can represent you and your children in whatever way they want. 
Mm. Um, and that is how you will be known for the rest of your life. So it's, I, ne- it's, I never would have thought of that. It's tough stuff. Yeah, it's tough stuff. And I even I you know negotiated as co-producer into my contract, so I would co-produce the film, which felt really powerful going in. Like I'm a producer, they're gonna have to listen to what I say. And then you realize that's kind of one of these things where they were just like patting you on the head, saying you know, okay, sweetheart, to everything you said. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's a fantastic roller coaster ride, is what it is. Let's pause on let's pause on this because I have a fun question here. So I've never thought about this, but as we were getting prepped for the show, I'm thinking, all right, wow, what would it be like to have a movie made about your life? And so I said, huh, I wonder who I would want to play me in the story of my life. So Tara, who would who would you choose to play you? I've been asked this question before. I am so bad at this. I think I think it would have to be someone funny. So I, I land on Tina Fey. Yeah, oh, I think yeah. yeah, I it would have to be someone that could really take the punches that have come with my life and just turn it humorous. What about oh, you, Ron? That's a good choice. <laughs> I like, Tina Fey's great. I, you know, I get a lot of people will will say Daniel Craig. I, I kind of like maybe a little oh. like Daniel Craig or Jeremy Renner. So I'd probably choose. I like both of those. I'd those choose actors. Jeremy Renner for you. I'd choose yeah. Jeremy Renner. Daniel Craig. I mean, I guess I don't know if it's just the Bond. He's a little bit too serious. <laughs> I agreed. Yeah, it doesn't fit you yeah. quite, Ron. But Jeremy Renner for well, yeah, sure. Kara is already assessing me. She she thinks I'm not serious. <laughs> <laughs> so. Can you share with us? Yeah, we've answered this. Or is that like... I mean, since the option has expired, I I mean, I have no contract with anyone right now, so I guess I can do whatever the heck I want is what I can do. (laughs) So who would you choose? Who would you choose? Um, well, you know, I got to, as as part of this process, I got to, you know, have a meeting with Nicole Kidman, who was was part of this. And I mean, she was fantastic. I mean, if you can imagine, okay, picture this. Nicole and I were speaking at the same event, like, Kentucky or something, I think is where we were. Anyhow, we're speaking at the same event and I'm going to go, you know, I'm waiting backstage to meet her and we're, we had a, a little meeting. And so she comes out from this curtain where there are like, I don't know, three, 4,000 people who were listening to her do a little interview. And then she comes out a little interview. Nicole Kidman did a little interview yeah. and then she comes, you know, behind the curtain and she comes to the top of the stage and she's like, she sees me and then she runs and she's like, Oh my God, Karen, I'm so happy to see you. I'm so glad you're, can you imagine? No, I cannot. <laughs> Take that I, moment. Cannot I have pictures. I have photos of that <laughs> moment. And then I got, and she is no life. So she said, I'm five foot four. I'm not very tall. I was wearing heels. So was Nicole. And she's like seven foot tall. So she's like towering <laughs> over me and she's beautiful. So she was a lot of fun. It was great to imagine her. And in fact, when we were writing the script, she was the person that we had you know, as, as in our head of like, this is who we're working with. But then later we also talked with Sandra Bullock. Also Jennifer Aniston was part of it, but Sandra Bullock was the one that was really like, I want her. Really? Oh, wow. (laughs) And I think because what she would bring is I think some of the, the physical, brutally hard scenes, like Nicole could have nailed those. Those were her. She likes to get really down and dirty, but Sandra would have to stretch for those a little bit but she could bring a different level of warmth to the mom part of this mm. and show that struggle in a more empathetic way, I felt like. so. And then she's like quirky. She has that like 
she would look like I feel like Nicole Kidman could build a house and be like badass. I did not look badass out here. I looked like Sandra Bullock building a house is what I looked like. Oh, it was, great. you know, it was a mess and it was a lot of mistakes and it was a lot of really bad hair days. And, you know, I don't know. So I, that's who I would pick. Oh my gosh. What a con- there's so conversation. Many others, right? yeah. Like, I, mean, yeah, I, so I was many. thinking Julia Roberts or something like that. Uh, so. okay, and she was, she was actually my first pick, but she wasn't the, with the producers. She wasn't one of their picks. So, huh? This is, this is so, but that would fun. be like my dream. Like uh, all of the movies that I've watched from, you know, like my era would be, yeah, she was my top pick. Wow. Well, no joke, Kara. I'm like already in my brain thinking, okay, <laughs> what hardcore project am I going to go get myself into Good. this weekend? See, so, see, the, the, it's let, 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 let me, let me, let me put Tara on the spot. Tara? I want to hear about your kitchen too. Yeah, we quit, have to talk planning, kitchen. quit planning. Quit planning. That's just my procrastination kitchen. kitchen. That's what I'm going to call quit it. Quit planning and get to it. I need you to know, get to it. Here's it's one true. of the things that I do all the time. And this is what you're going to do to your kitchen. So when I have a project that is like that, like I'm playing, I'm talking about it. I had one. It's a wall like right out here in my dining room. And I had hung some pictures on it. We had like the Today Show coming to our house and it was a blank wall. We printed pictures off the internet, framed them and hung them up there. It was horrible. It was ugly. (laughs) And it was like that for like eight years or something stupid because it was done. Like I'm just eventually we're going to fix it. Well, then we had a Japanese crew coming in here to film something. And I was like, I can't live with that wall one more day. So here's how I solved it. I went in and I took all those pictures down, pulled all the nails out of the wall. It was a mess. It was a mess. Everything stacked up in there. Now, guess what? You have no choice. You got to fix it. So you know, go in your kitchen yeah. and make sledgehammer a big is what you're saying. Mess. Just sledgehammer <laughs> that thing until because, it's, you can't even recognize it. And, and then I have and, no choice. Room, Burn the boats. Whatever is the thing that, like, push your own buttons. Like, what is the thing about redoing mm. your kitchen that's going to drive you nuts the most? You're going to have to move your refrigerator. Your microwave can't be there. Your dishes oh, are going to like be exposed. This. Whatever that thing is, make that mess. So create pain for yourself to actually do the hard thing. I, I really like this. I can, it works. I, I, yeah, I like the idea of the refrigerator in the middle of my my path. Because okay. you are not going to tolerate that very long. That is such a great point. What a good yeah. message on so, so many levels. You have levels. to be willing to make a mess. And it, 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 I mean, it creates an instant project. You have a, that, and it also like sets a timeline, right? Like you've started, you've officially right. started. You have officially that, started, yeah. I mean, that does different things in your brain, right? You have different little neurons that are firing off, that are setting, you're coming up with new ideas. You're coming up with new ideas faster because you've given yourself this idea. I have officially started this project. Mm, I love it. Now, just because we're rounding out the show, I have to ask you, we've talked a lot about success today and mm-hmm. failure. You've shared some failures as well, but now we'll ask you to share your biggest. So, well, I, or I mean, one that comes to mind, like what, what, what do you think that that might be? I mean, my biggest failure, I think is, is really what we've already shared. So I might share a different one. I mean, the biggest failure is not, not having my kids in a safe and healthy environment for as long as we had to tolerate that. And well, a lot of it was out of my control. You know, I think that you always feel like you could have made different decisions or things you could have done differently. So I think those are, that's my biggest failure. And, and now you know what I did to try to remedy that situation. But I have a favorite failure that is after we built the house, the kids and I started like 
different businesses. Like let's, because we weren't afraid to start any kind of sure. business. So there were multiple different businesses that we started, but most of them failed. But one of them that we had put a lot of time, energy, and money into, and we were all working in it together, and it did not work. And we worked on it for a couple of years, and nothing was happening. And I decided, and I had started it as an LLC, and we decided, like, hey, this is not worth it anymore. So I did the thing where you dissolve the LLC, and... I got this envelope in the mail from the Secretary of State that is like a certificate of, I don't know, disillusions, a certificate saying you dissolved the business. And it looks like a certificate. It has like the scroll work around the edges. And I was like, this is the coolest thing in the world. I just got a certificate of failure. I'm totally hanging this on the wall. And the kids are like, oh, my God, like, burn that. We don't ever want anybody to know we did that. That was the most embarrassing thing ever. And I'm like, no, do you know how many people in the world are saying, someday I'm going to start my own business? Mm. You did it. It doesn't matter if it failed, if it succeeded, if you're a millionaire or if you lost every penny. You did that thing. And we should have that more often. Like, we shouldn't just have proof of the times that we tried something and succeeded because it took just as much guts to go in there and try that thing that didn't. So yeah, that was my favorite failure to hold that up and go, no, look kids, like we did this because every single time I speak, one of the things that, that I ask people is what are you going to do? What's your big thing? What, what are you going to do? And so many of the people will say, I'm going to open a restaurant. I'm going to start my own business. I'm going to do this thing. And it's like, okay, well, how long have you been planning that? Well, my whole life, 20 years, 10 years. And yet if I ask them the details of that, like, okay, where's your restaurant? What are the tablecloths going to look like? What's on the menu? It, they have no idea. It's just this loose little dream that they've done. So if you can have the certificate that you went out there and, and you had a name for your business and you incorporated it and you tried, but you failed, like you still took the steps and did it. So... We should get certificates of failure. I've got a couple. Thanks for joining us this week. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell all your friends. If you didn't, let's just forget this happened and we'll try again next week. Until then, join the revolution to forge metal and connect with us on social media.